Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from five exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium. Well, friends today. Hello. Alessio. Hello. Audrey. Hello, everyone. Cara. Hello, from Germany. And I'm your host, Ben. Today, we're going to be talking about Shablam, A Fist of Dragonstones, Chakra, Tidal Blades, and Century Spice Road slash the Superior Golem Edition. But first, we'll start with the standee catch-up. So, Alexis, what are you up to? Um, what am I up to? Well, right now, I'm traveling to, I've traveled to Audrey's, and I've spent the last uh, few days playing Midera uh, extensively. I also had a, a quick game of uh, Destinies with uh, Audrey's boyfriend. And it was a, a lot of fun. Um, I don't think that I would uh, play Destiny again. I think that it was uh, it, it would be better if it was uh, more co-op oriented. But uh, it was it was nice to try it out. And um, well, about Midara, we'll talk about this in a couple of weeks, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, otherwise I'm I'm doing pretty well. Um, and what about you, Car? Um, well, um, as of right now, um, I still have summer break, so I have a lot of free time and I actually got to um, play several games. Um, I played Micro Macro Crime City finally, um, and Love Letter, I played Trial by Trolley, Railroad Inc. And um, also tried out Flamecraft, which is um, right now on Kickstarter. I think when this episode is released, it's finished. But yeah, I tried it out on Tabletopia and it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, and yeah, apart from that, um, relaxing uh, and uh, trying not to think about returning back to school during the pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned, was it Trial by Trolley? Yes. I've not heard of this. Do, do, just give us a little tell about this. That's a that, fascinating name. That's the Cyanide and Happiness second game, right? Uh, yeah, it's by Cyanide and Happiness. They make these um, web comics uh, with little regards to good taste and <laughs> such. So um, it's a party game where you basically take this uh, trolley problem. Okay, you have this trolley going down the railroads and you come to a, uh, I don't yeah. know the English word for it. So it's... basically there are two ways it can go. And on one part, there's, for example, uh, a small ch child. And on the other one are three old people. And you have to s decide who you kill, basically. And the dilemma. In this game. The trolley problem. Yeah. yeah. And in this game, in teams, uh, you do this. One player is always the one to decide which uh, rail they take in the end. And they have each team has to convince the conductor to take the other team's rail and basically kill everyone on there. And um, so you you basically pile up cards to add value to your branch of the trolley so that it doesn't get picked. So you add a small child, then you add a mother of two, then you add a cat and something like that. So please uh, go over the other branch. <laughs> Yeah, the trolley problem's an old classic. That's a that's an interesting game. Not sure, not sure who I'd play that with, but um, I can imagine it'd be fun. It sounds 
more fun than some of the bad taste get games that are out there? Well, it's a bad taste game fun anyway, so yes, <laughs> you you should just rank them. <laughs> Yeah, and so we enjoyed it a lot. Um, it's, I mean, sure, it's it's not always politically correct, um, but um, I think in, in most cases it's it's still in, in good taste because um, it does say no, you don't want to kill any of those uh, people, um, but you have to decide on someone. Um, except for the negative cards, you also can add a card to the other rail of some with something that the person might want to actually kill. Like um, <laughs> there is a card, the person that uh, invented microtransactions. <laughs> <clears throat> and yeah, there is a, a, some problems with um, playing it as a an European because um, we had uh, the starting lineup of the uh, Patriots or something and we sat there and think thought who cares what <laughs> <laughs> and it was a negative card so apparently people in America feel inclined to kill them I don't know but um, yeah um, so um, Audrey what about you well, uh, as Alexis said, the last two days we've been playing uh, lots of Midara, so we, we've reached uh, chapter two, and we still have uh, tonight to play where we're going to try our first bounty. Uh, other than that, I finished the last scenario of Destinies with my boyfriend, and yeah, I have the same uh, experience as Alexis. Uh, I would rather it to be a cooperative game, and it's not a game that I want to replay. Uh, and I think that's it because due to the holidays uh, I haven't played a lot and due to my start of unemployment I got back into uh, the Guild Wars 2 video game and that's what I spent most of my time on. <laughs> yeah, I think we're kind of all in agreement with Destinies which seems to be, it's a decent system, it's a nice idea. Uh, for me at least I'd prefer some cooperative play and I'd prefer better written scenarios um, but I think it has potential yeah I, I, li I like the, the system and how the statistic works and stuff like that but at some point I just stop, stop feeling uh, committed yeah that sounds sounds like my feelings as well yeah And what about you, Alessio? What have you been doing? Oh, well, uh, this week uh, I finally received uh, very, very late the expansion for Res Arcana. The first one, Lux at Tenebre, which was uh, translated in Italian uh, for the first time uh, uh, right now. And uh, so I played that uh, actually waiting to play with my group, which is kind of obsessed with Res Arcana lately. Uh, I'm playing it with my wife, which is a bit exasperated of my <laughs> of my want of playing this, this stuff. So I, I think that we will get uh, to play a bit of parks in the weekend with the kids. <laughs> And uh, this is basically it. Uh, it's it has not been a long time. And uh, so, what about you, Fan? Well, when it comes to board games, 
Um, we've been going through the uh, vaporwave, uh, yeah, vaporwave sort of selection. Um, every single box played realised was purple and blue, so I guess that was a theme by accident. We played Dinosaur Island, which I was excited about getting this for a long time, and I still think it's a pretty good game. But I was very sad that all of the dinosaurs were plastic. I wanted little wooden dinosaurs, not stinky little plastic ones, um, which is a real shame because like everything in that game box is there's plastic for no reason. Um, Do you all... mean that the dinosaurs are made of dead dinosaurs? Well, considering plastic isn't actually dead dinosaurs, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, underwater cities as well played a bit. Uh, that is very crunchy and good, and I'm thinking about whether we get the expansion or not. Um, played some Dream Crush with... Uh, uh, we had to ban Elijah Wood's card from play because he just kept winning everything. It was really easy whenever Elijah Wood was there. Um, it's just, uh, uh, it was this first moment of uh, playing... I, I can't remember, Francis, I think his character's name or something like that. And it's like, is that Elijah Wood? And then that's Elijah Wood. And sure enough, he's credited in the book... So uh, once we got rid of him, things became a bit fairer. And most of all, we've been playing the Snallygaster situation, which is from the Kids on Bikes universe. If you don't know the role-playing book, uh, you'll know the trope, which is that 1980s Kids on a Bicycle, E.T., The Goonies, uh, Stephen King's It, uh, and most recently Straight... Yes, and most recently Stranger Things... um, Kids on bikes cycle around dealing with monsters and mysteries. Uh, they're a bunch of American ones, so the Jersey Devils one, and then the Snallygaster is another. It's a it's an interesting game, um, especially for the person who plays as the monster, because they also play as a lost kid. So they are kind of in charge of the bad guy, but also on your side. Uh, you need to find them and then do some other stuff to win. And it's hard work threading the needle as the lost kid because everything you do to try and help can also really badly harm the other players or lead them in the wrong direction. Um, so it's a, it's a tough one. It gets a bit less fun once you're revealed as the lost kid, but I still think it's a great cooperative game, a bit heavier than Horrified and within the same kind of feel. It's definitely worth one, one worth checking out. Um, so yeah, that's what the Borgesu have been playing, um, and we're lining up to play some more Food Chain Mangate um, pretty soon, um, once we figure out a date. So great. Yeah, yeah, it's been pretty good. And I think things haven't been too uh, dramatic in the world of board games. Um We've had a lot of drama recently, but at least for the past week, I feel like things have been more back to normal-ish. There has been some very terrible stuff that happened. Um, A course involving the Broken Token. Um, I'm not sure how people have felt about that. It's been like, it took me a couple of days to recover after I read everything that happened. It was awful. Me too. Yeah. Yeah, there's no comment on the on the awfulness of the entire situation that that's a real mess and that's shameful to 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 read about that and that that is sad news 
Yeah, well, I would say the silver lining from this um, is, it, unlike when we've seen accusations of this in the video game community, where stuff's been brushed under the carpet, or right now Activision are actively trying to claim that California is lying, um, instead the community has stepped up together and been like, this isn't okay, and taken swift action. Because um, too often uh, it's a lot of like, oh, it's on burden of proof on the victim to prove otherwise, and this, oh, it's you know, all sorts of hand-washing and enabling. So I'm very happy to see so many prominent people step up. Yeah, it's pretty good to to see uh, support for the victims and uh, a lot of companies uh, distantiating themselves from Broken Token. Yeah, as they say, it's uh, nice to see some accountability. Once, once, uh, and for once, I'd say... It's uh, very, very cool and very. Uh, I I especially appreciated Isaac uh, Childress because he's on the number one game on BGG right now and for a few years, and uh, his words are counting are are meant to count to count a lot in this. So great. I could see quite a few uh, innocent until proven guilty uh, arguments on Facebook, but uh, I could also see many people answering that. Who cares? It's not about court. It's about who companies choose to have business with and they can do whatever they want because it's companies. So, yeah, I I was pretty happy to see uh, people differentiating the legal part, which is something to the financial and company's business part which is completely another thing and which is what is happening right now yeah people often forget that um you can't just can't use that comparison because even if you try to talk about courts you have to remember that people can be found innocent in a criminal court and then still sued and found guilty in us in a civil court it's enti- and that's just courts this is entirely different and in case you don't think otherwise it's it's turns out that between 80 and 90 percent of abuse claims are substantiated and true so it the burden at least here in socially is always on the person um who is being accused to prove otherwise really um and i think we can say in this particular case that that individual has kind of just dug the hole bigger and deeper yeah yeah, I loved in that answer. Every in, in the last years, while we are trying to work things out with my wife, every interaction that I've had in and outside of the workplace has been consensual. Uh, that <laughs> sentence, well, that, that was just, I, I, I don't know the exact word to characterize that sentence, but uh, I'd was, say wrong. my mind was blown. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's sad to laugh at this, but uh, I'd say that uh, this is the most blatant self-accusation I ever read in a tweet. And to which I would also say, if you are a CEO, do not engage in consensual activities with your employees. That's best. Mm-mm. Absolutely, yes. Well, our, our hearts and thoughts go out to the... Um, the individuals affected by this and any other individuals who have been affected by this and haven't spoken up yet, whether they want to or not. And um, again, you know, applause to the way that the, a lot of the creators and designers and publishers have behaved through this. Um, that's the kind of stuff I really want to keep see keep happening 
when we do have these unfortunate situations occurring. I don't want those situations to happen, but I do want people to behave in this manner. Okay, well, um, I think we shall brush from uh, a fairly heavy topic to something very light and very silly. Uh, we're going to go to take a look at one of the big cultural phenomenons of the last decade, I think, or so, uh, in um, Drag Race, or uh, not Drag Race in this case, but instead Shablam, the totally not Drag Race lip-syncing drag queen Euro sports-ish game uh, from Aaron van der Beek, who gave us the fantastic and amazing Castell back in 2018, which I reviewed recently, and I, I love that. That's this one of the most thematic sporting Euros or thematic games I've played ever. So this one we played in Prototype, um, and it's a two-to-four player tableau building set collecting moving around a dance floor like a queen to the beat of the music sort of affair with some very fun silly uh, made-up drag queens and a lot of uh, references and things like that to rupaul's drag race of course so uh alexis would you like to tell us a little bit about what you enjoyed of it um <laughs> shablam uh, I really liked the game. I thought that the, the theme was very strong into uh, especially the art, but, but everything. Uh, the text, uh, just um, the game mechanics, it, it reflected pretty well. Um, during the whole game, I wasn't sure who was leading. I knew that... Uh, I, I could see that some players were doing better, but I, I still wasn't sure about the, the final score. So... I like that the way the the different mechanics kind of obfuscate uh, who's leading at the moment, but I thought that the game was slightly too long. Unfortunately, uh, it it was very enjoyable though. Yeah, yeah, it's it's listed on, on the Borgengeek website as being thirty to sixty minutes, and um, maybe it'll get there in the end. But that that's prototype, not what happened. <laughs> No, every game I've played has run past like towards two hours, um, which uh, has felt a bit long. But uh, Aaron, uh, I mentioned that to Aaron and he said he's looking at uh, adjusting the time lengths, um, certainly, because you don't want it to outstay its welcome. I mean, a lip sync battle is a fast, punchy affair filled with high points and oohs and oh my goodnesses and, and death drops. And um you want the board game to reflect that. But uh, Alexis, yeah, I, I really loved how how the game obfuscates the winner. Um, I thought that was fantastic. Very enjoyable. Because, yeah, like I said, I, I, I knew I wasn't doing very well when we all played. Um, yeah, I but thought... oh, you were not the one that lost. Yeah, but I was, I was still, as far as I'm concerned, second place is just a fancy name for the first loser. So you know, I still. That's it, bad face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I didn't score much more than you. Um, uh, I knew you were struggling. I was struggling. Just it wasn't clicking together for me with the card combos and things I was trying. But it was interesting. Every game I played has always had at least two people, very tight, or even in one game they were exactly the same scores. Which is pretty pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, our game we had two close at the top and two close at the bottom. Yeah. But uh, yeah, the, the idea of not being able to know who is the winner until it's over it reflects a bit the reality uh, in the inspiration. Yeah, absolutely. The number of times you look and go, 
I know who's won, and then RuPaul declares the other one a winner, and it's like, really? Were we watching the same lip sync? I'm not sure we were. But uh, that's that's part of the spectacle and joy. That's the magic of editing. Exactly. It's, it is, it is. So um, what you're doing during Sublime is there's a panel of four or five judges um, you're trying to impress. Each one of them has a particular category that they care about for that lip sync. Now there's, I think, ten categories in the game and you'll have five of them randomly out each time. And those categories have three different cards in each of varying power. Um, you'll collect by moving around on the dance floor, uh, on the stage, I should say, lip sync stage. You'll be picking up rhinestones, which are basically coloured gems. Um, and you'll be spending those to activate cards that you've collected. So there's basically three sets of currency in the game, which is lips that you get when you pick up cards, rhinestones you get when you're moving around, and then the um, cards themselves, which you can... Uh, they go into your tableau and they power up your lip collection or they improve... Um, you can discard them to help pay for or improve various dance moves. It is uh, it is a lot of currency and a lot of manoeuvring. Yeah, I, Your first game when you play will almost certainly be f- several turns of like, I'm, I'm not sure what I'm doing. I'm, I don't know if I'm, if I'm getting anywhere. I'll just guess I'll just take these. I... I really like the way that um, getting cards help you get lips, but you can also spend them to power up your your next few cards. I think that does a nice balance to to strike, and it's a bit different from the usual way that um, engine builder function. Um, I, I thought that was interesting in the game. Yeah, yeah. I I was thinking that myself today. I was thinking what I quite find quite interesting is how. Some of the cards encourage you to build up a big tableau of cards in backup to power up your lips and power up your moves. And then others encourage you to spend them. So you get this kind of ebb and flow where your tableau is quite strong and giving you lots of bonuses. And then maybe you've spent it all and you're, you're back down, giving you sort of peaks and troughs, which is uh, it's a hard one to navigate. Yeah, I think um, personally from the mechanical side, it's, I think it's really great. And basically everything you just said, um, there's a lot to decide. Uh, there are pros and cons to each decision. It's not like you look at it and know, oh yeah, I have to do this because there's no other sensible thing to do. Um, it's useful to keep cards in your tableau because you will get more lips when you take new cards. However, by spending the cards, you get more powerful moves. And um, so, yeah, that's really interesting. I found all the mechanics worked really well together. My personal problem, apart from the game length, which is apparently addressed by the designer right now, um, I felt the theme went into the background. Um, While playing, I didn't really look at the images. I didn't read names of dance moves or, you know, try to imagine what my figure actually does there on the stage. I just looked, okay, I need these two gems and then I can play this card and get these points. And um, that's where I felt if you want to have this theme and the theme in the foreground, it doesn't it does need to be a lighter game and um 
from the theme side, I kind of missed um, the idea of, you know, queuing dance moves. Um, it was like, okay, every time I play a card, the figure does one move and then another player's turn. And when it's my turn again, I can do one move. But it never felt like, okay, I'm doing a series of moves here and have like this choreography. So I think I get what you're saying. So uh, it, it could have alternatively been something where you like play a card and make a move and then you play another card and you make another move following on from that and kind of a bit combo building. Yeah, that's what I would have expected from, you know, the pitch of the game that I have like this combo building, um, that I create a choreography that is... Um, um, uh, counted in the end, but that's not what it is. It's it's fine what it is. It just was what I was expecting and what I would have wished for the theme because I feel like the mechanics could be f as well with any other theme. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I I think I think I agree as well because Castell is phenomenal for the theme. It's tied so tightly to everything you're doing. Um, you spend all your time rearranging your tower, trying to strengthen it and figure out what you're um, what you're doing and going after festivals and everything that uh, um, I, I did hope that the theme would be more in the front in this game. Um, I also I'm really surprised how crunchy it is. Like you're talking triple digit final point scores in a typical game for everyone. It's and and the number of decisions you have to make a turn. It's a. Uh, it, for, for me, it's almost fatiguing where I'm sat there and I'm like, oh, I could do this, I could do this, I could do this. And I'm having trouble finding direction at times. Um, when we played initially, I was like, oh, I'm going to build up a big um, tableau of a bunch of certain rhinestones and that will help me fuel my lips and I'll, I'll go for that. And then Alexis scores so many points off me having cards that I was like, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. And I dumped my all my cards down and just started managing them a sm small amount at a time because I couldn't keep up if people were going to keep scoring off me having a big um, tableau, which admittedly that's that particular moveset influencing the game. But yeah, it was... Um, yeah. The only time I do really remember it's uh, a... Um, a lip sync is when I'm moving my figure across the board and trying to navigate past everyone else on the stage, which always feels crowded. Yes, I, I yeah, like yeah. that point. And I'm guessing that it must feel very different for, with four players um, than with only two, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's a different beast with two. And I think the game might just be tighter at two player where it all works a bit better because you spend less time sitting waiting until your next turn. So it feels more punchy that you collect less slip tokens. So it's shorter. So this might be for me, at least a game I pick up just exclusively for playing two players and going head to head. Um, maybe. I don't know yet. I, I, all I do know is I definitely want to back it. Um, I think there is like a really great game in here once the last few bits and pieces are chiseled out. Um, but uh, I, I I do get uh, fatigued trying to keep a track of everything that's scoring in a given turn. Yeah, speaking of scoring, I think it's good to mention the uh, the crunchiness of uh, the, the final score calculation, um, which felt a bit odd with the type of game that it was. Yeah, it doesn't feel thematic although it does kind of link to the theme so after you've played through everything you've got a bunch of scores in each different category you've got some um 
desire tokens from various judges because you've achieved certain goals they wanted and maybe you've scored a 10 from them because you've managed to achieve at least a 10 point move within that given category and so you sit down first of all if you've got tens across the boards your lowest scoring category doubles its points so it's a nice bonus but tens across the board isn't essential then you check your lyric colors um, which if you you score more and more for the more different colors you have now, one of the fighting things in this is when you're collecting lyric tokens, actually, whenever you collect a given lyric token, you score all of the previous ones of the same color at the same time, adding onto that move. So you're torn in two directions as to trying to collect one of each color. And also, instead, do I just go for like loads of yellows and loads of greens and not worry about it? Then you score every single judge's category. And if you score higher than anyone else, you get a judge desire token extra. Then you score bonuses for having complete sets, one, two, three, four, five of each judge desire set. Then you score each individual judge desires separately. And oof, that's like a lot. I, every time I've calculated this, I've, I've put together a copy of, the, um, of the, the score sheet that comes on Tabletop Simulator into a spreadsheet and just let it auto-calculate it because it's, it's big numbers. I... I I could see myself wanting an app to play this on tabletop. Yeah, I, I was completely lost uh, during all the game because uh, there are so many ways uh, to score points that I just didn't know what to do. And as Carol said, yeah, at some, at some point I, I stopped caring about the theme. I was just, oh, okay, so these colors give me something, but there are also these colors. And yeah, there are different uh, objectives that go in uh, different directions. And I did not know what to pick because there were so, so many choices. And, but I mean, that, that, that gives the feel of a, yeah, of a four-way lip sync when it can be uh, chaotic. But... I really didn't know what I was doing most of the time, and it's a game where I I will like to take the cards at some point and just shuffle through them and watch them and say, oh, this one, oh yeah, that's funny, the, the, the illustration is nice, blah, blah, and at another time I will play, but I cannot link it uh, at the same time because I have, I need to calculate and to concentrate and to focus too much on how to play the game, basically, but I cannot afford the mental time to uh, enjoy the theme yeah i think i think we could all agree this isn't something you play with a player who's prone to uh, oh, analysis paralysis because oh, no. they will oh, no. they will be stuck in the middle of the stage oh frozen. please don't show that game to my boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> well luckily it's up to you what board game he sees yeah he's not going to see that one <laughs> uh i definitely want to to play this again because I think that um, the second and maybe third uh, time I play it, I might be able to better envision what my actions are going to uh, to link to. Uh, I, I think that it, this is the sort of game that you only get better at uh, the more play you have it. Definitely. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I would not mind another another game uh, to see more and to say, oh, now that I understand exactly uh, how I score lips, uh, how it can pile up to give me more lips when I pick a card, how I can power up my moves with an already played card. Oh, and 
now that I have played, I also understand the powers of the drag queen that I picked. Because when we played, at first I picked a drag queen and I had no idea what her uh, power was. And as the game progressed, I was like, oh, 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 and I would have done some things uh, completely different uh, had I understood her powers uh, earlier. Yeah, steep learning curve, I think is fair to say. And on that, I would also say we could really have done with some reference cards uh, for stuff like what all the goals are, because some of those symbols, it's quite quite hard to get to grips with all of the different um, judge desire goals that are going on. Um, play any dance mood or in play any dance move in any stage area of the given colour looks almost the same as play any dance move of a given colour within the matching stage area. And admittedly, it's just one one word really changing and added to the concept, but the only ones I could ever immediately click with were the ones that were move three spaces and land on a stage space of a given colour or on a rhinestone of a given colour. I could immediately click with those, and the rest always took a bit of time to think about and I, I found during a turn, I just have to pick something and be like, can I do this? And and just try and do that, whether it was good or not. There was just, so, yeah, it was a lot. But that said, every time I finished it, within a day or two, I find myself going, you know what? I, I bet I could do better this time. I bet, I bet I could manage to get tens across the board and navigate everything a bit better. And I go off and have another go. Okay, so that was Shablam from Aaron Vanderbeek, who also gave us the fantastic Castell. You can read a review written by myself on that board game on Board Game Geek in the uh, game category. And we're going to go now from rhinestones across to an entirely different kind of stone. Um, rhinestones, as we all know, come from Rhine. Um, so these ones instead uh, come from dragons. So, uh, Audrey, would you like to tell us about Fist of Dragonstones? Yes, of course. Uh, Fist of Dragonstone, it's not a game that I like, but it's a game that my boyfriend likes, and I thought I would uh, give an homage to him by uh, speaking about it. Uh, <laughs> this is a game uh, which has Bruno Feiduti and Michael Schacht as designers, or is it Schacht? Um, and it has been published by Days of Wonder. It's a game which, uh, where you have to score three points. The first player which has three points wins the game, and the points are scored by exchanging gems of uh, colors, which are red, blue, and yellow, to points. So the game uh, has two uh, different steps. The first step is an auction step where the different players will bid uh, coins that they have uh, hidden initially and they take the coins in the palms of their hands and they will use these coins to bid for the cards in a, in a specific order. The cards will uh, give them powers to get dragonstones, spend dragonstone for points, uh, this kind of things, steal dragonstones to other, etc. And all in different combinations. So you will take your coins, there are different types of coins, fairy coins, silver coins, gold coins, which all get uh, replenished um, at different um, rates, or do not get replenished, or you can get them back through other cards. And you go through the auction in the order of cards. Some cards uh, are here every single turn and there is another deck of cards which at every turn you add some of them into the auction pool. So any uh, game will be different 
uh, to each other due to these extra uh, cards at each uh, auction turn. And when a player wins the auction, they do uh, the action of the card and trigger the point scoring, trigger the uh, gemstone, the dragonstone um, winning, etc. And that plays in a few turns, generally five turns, so which I think makes you see 15 of the extra cards where there might be more than 40. Uh, so that's why the, the games are all different to each other. And, and basically that's the concept of the game, really. You do the auction, you score or not score or get the dragon stones at each turn and it goes on. Why I don't like this game is because I don't understand anything about auctions most of the times and uh, how to do combos. So that's um, and also I don't deal well with games where I could psychologically think, oh, he picked that card the previous turn, so this turn he's going to want this one. That's not something that I am uh, able to do. Maybe you want to play a bit of modern art with us, and uh, that'll get you to grips with auctions and yeah. also more fun. Modern Art and Ra and Medici. They, they, yeah, they, they are all cool games. Uh, Was that ironic or not? No, not at no, all. No, no, no. Uh, modern Art is a wonderful way to get to grips with how auctions work. And uh, it has a whole bunch of different types. It, yeah. it's, it's purely auction, you know. So it's, it's a fantastic game. I, I want to say the pedigree on the designers of this game is incredible. Um, Bruno has got Mystery of the Abbey, Queen's Necklace... Diamant, Mission Red Planet, um, and Michael has like uh, Uwari, um, Coloretto, Zuloretto, um, and he even designed Scotland Yard, which I know we're going to talk about at some point in the future because I love hidden movement games, and that one's pretty much the daddy of it. Yeah, please, please let's talk about the movement games. <laughs> anyway, uh, to, to, to get back to to the game, I think that we have to cut the game some slack because it's uh, basically a 20-year-old game or something like that. And uh, actually, it did uh, a good job with a uh, with, uh, blind auction because you have that thing which is fairy gold, which basically comes back. So it basically mitigates the worst part of this kind of auctioning. Yeah, it's not a game I've ever had a chance to play myself. Um, uh... When we played um, The King's Dilemma with uh, Alexis and Remy, our Patreon, and my boyfriend, I, I wasn't too bothered with the auction mechanics because everything was narrative, and yeah, that wasn't bothering me. But with The Feast of Dragon Sun, the fact that it's auctions yeah. to a mechanical end that's what bothered me yeah the, the, the main difference with that is that is in king's dilemma if you lose the bid you actually get back everything while you have to be careful with uh, with feast on dragonstones because mm. you only get the fairy gold back and that's the kind of cool part of tra of strategizing which i expect from a, a game from these designers so Smart. Yeah, that's a game where I don't suffer from uh, analysis paralysis because as I have no idea what I'm doing, I just pick things at random and I <laughs> do my turns very fast, but I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, at some point I will say, oh, I think I need a yellow gemstones right now. And I try to get one, but <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's my chance when I play this game. Yeah, um, I have to say, uh, I, I never, um, I played this game a lot of time ago. 
but I, I think that uh, although the, the time listed is 45 minutes, I think that no game lasted less than an hour. I, I mostly played the four players. Yeah, that's pretty respectable for a game of this. So I was just looking. Um, it had a 2018 reprint and update for Fist of Dragonstone's Tavern Edition to speed up the game and uh, add a load of additional special character cards, apparently. Yeah, D didn't play that, though. And a much bigger box as well. Got to get those big boxes in. If, you if you're not selling the customer's air, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, my boyfriend has the uh, old uh, edition. Well, actually, my parents have my boyfriend's uh, old edition <laughs> somewhere in my cupboards there. Uh, but yeah, the, the box is, a, is way smaller. Yeah, and the box reads Feast of Dragons once. And in French, it's Les Pierres du Dragon, the Stones of the Dragon. You know what? I prefer that name. Fist of Dragonstones, um, there's a lot of things you could say about that. The kindest one I'll say is it reminds me of Fist of the North Star, as the name goes. But uh, Which is cool! <laughs> it, uh, if you say so. It's really interesting <laughs> because in German it's called Drachenfaust, which is translated just Dragon Fist. That's cool as well. There are no stones in the German title. <laughs> Yeah, so that's one game where translations make it better. I mean, not many games can boast of that. <laughs> no, they can't. They, they absolutely can't. Uh, it sounds like a, a nice, interesting sort of filler game to just pop out at the beginning of a, or end of a session or perhaps play somewhere when you're killing a little bit of time with some people. Um, but yeah. you kill yeah. one hour with that. <laughs> well, you know. I, I in my fun. case, that would be the end of the evening when I am getting tired and I just don't want to play anymore and watch the other people play. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. You uh, you had another game you were going to talk to us about, didn't you, that also involves uh, nice shiny objects? Yes, because I love shiny objects. Ooh. Who uh, doesn't? It is Chakra. Uh, Chakra is a game which is about gems again. A colored gems again, but this time there are more colors. There are seven colors, I think. Yes, seven. Um, and you will pick gems uh, in a um, picking uh, board, and then you will organize them on your individual board in order to fill your colored chakras. That's the, the objective of the game. Each chakra can uh, be filled with three gems. When the chakra has been filled with the three gems of the same color than the chakra, the chakra is considered as filled and then is ignored for the gems movement uh, mechanics. Players will take turn uh, picking gems first, uh, initially at the first turn in the picking board, putting them on their board, and then the next turns they will be able to do actions which are picking other gems, moving gems on their board according to some uh, different uh, possibilities and or um, meditating which uh, gives them their action back their actions back and allow them to see the points that each chakra uh, can get at the end of the game if the chakra is full the thing is that each player has five actions when the player puts the gems picked on the picking board and they put them into a chakra, they put the action uh, token 
near the chakra. So that action token is locked until the chakra has been filled. So, filled. <laughs> so there is uh, an idea that, yeah, you want to put gems directly into the chakras, but if you do that too much, at some point you won't have many actions, and if you have three actions locked in chakras, you will do a turn playing one move uh, token, playing one of one move token, then meditating, then one move token, one move token, then meditating. So there is a balance to find between putting gems directly into a chakra and having enough actions to move them. Now very yeah, now there is a picking rule when you pick because the gems are organized in two columns. You can pick between one and three gems in a column. Three is the total of games uh, in of gems in the column. If you pick three gems, they have to be all of different colors. If there is a black gem, which is the exception gem, in the colon, you have to pick it. So if, for instance, there is a colon with a dark blue, a light blue, and a black, and you want to pick the dark blue, or the dark blue and the light blue, or just the light blue, you have to pick the black anyway. And the black uh, gems are dead, uh, basically, gems. They are like uh, parasites to your inner... Uh, then and these gems if you manage to get them to the bottom of the board you can then either keep them for points at the end of the game one extra point per gem that stays here or convert them to uh, gems of any color that you decide that starts on the top of your board and at the end of the game you win points depending on which chakra uh, is filled and you gain extra uh, point for one player, which is the one that has the most, uh, the biggest amount of chakras filled, starting from the bottom one. And at the end, you're, depending on your score, you get graded uh, depending on your Zen level. And I think that this final grade with a different Zen level, I think that's uh, a very fun, um, let's say, uh, thematic addition. Uh, to the game. Are you a Zen Grandmaster or just a student? I think that's a very fun uh, addition to the game. Yeah, please, please note that it's very thematic that since the game stops uh, uh, makes uh, your last turn uh, when uh, you get to five chakras uh, balanced, you can never get to seven chakras complete. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's a game that I really like, uh, also because all the components are beautiful. Uh, the little girls uh, which are meditating are all in pastel colors, and so everybody, even if the drawing in itself is the same, the colors uh, really make them unique. And and it's it's in a small box as well. It's not a game where you get air. <laughs> And yeah, it's a game where I personally like to take my time and just move the, the gems around and take my time. And I cannot play it on uh, board game arena due to that reasons because I am always playing against people that want to rush and get and get to the end of the game. And I just don't feel like I have a time to do anything. So I like to play it with other people that are maybe sometimes either that like to take their time or maybe my parents which don't really understand what they are doing so that we have the time. And I think that's where the game really uh, lends to his um, name and the mechanics go with the theme uh, where you may want to take your time. It's a game to chill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just, just saw um, 
there are two different covers for the game and um, I really like the old cover from 2019 but apparently the new French and German edition from 2021 has this weird green cover that's not as nice which I find sad because the old one also has this meditating girl in pastel colors and it's just beautiful but oh well what there is a new cover I think I have the old one. Yeah, they, they do that, they do that uh, from time to time. Oh, oh, oh no, I I do have the old one and I think it's much better. I don't like the new one. Yep, me neither. <laughs> ba bas basically, uh, for the listeners, we are uh, frantically browsing images uh, to find <laughs> out the differences right now. So <laughs> Frantically is the word. Desperately. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, I've already talked about my parents and when I showed them Chakra, I said to them, oh, it's a bit like Azul. And uh, it's a type of game that I really like to show to people that uh, are not much into uh, board games. These games where you pick tokens and then move them around on your board and score points. I think that uh, it's really, yeah, that's my favorite kind of games to show to uh, more well, newer board game players. Well, it's Azul which doesn't end at the fifth round. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nice to have these kind of games with this little tactile component of putting stuff on a board um that's a big part of the reason why tiny towns is my like introductory game of choice is you're putting stuff onto a little board and collecting things and here we go tiny towns we have to talk about it someday uh, we I have want. no idea what you're talking about <laughs> mm. okay so we have our fill of shining stones for today no, I still want more stones. Do we have more? We have more. I we think have we have more. another game with some more shiny stones. Uh, so, Cara, would you like to tell us all about it? Um, well, it doesn't really have many shiny stones, I'm afraid. It has shiny dice. Uh, the, ah! Yeah. Um, we, we have shells, too. Oh, yeah, right. And shells. Shiny shells. Um, Everyone knows that dice are gems of the tabletop and shells are the gems of the beach. <laughs> Sold by the seashore. <laughs> so anyway, um, we are talking about Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef, uh, which was released uh, last year and has been on Kickstarter before. Um, it's a one to four player game by the Eisner brothers, Tim and Ben, with art and world building by Mr. Cuddington um, and uh, published uh, by Druid City Games and Skybound Games. Um, the world building part is kind of important here because it's um, on the co box cover it says on the bottom part one and a lot of people are confused part one of what um, they do plan to release more games and also a tabletop rpg that is set in this world so um, with the collector's edition you also got an art book with a lot of background story and a map of the world and everything so they do really plan to uh, make a lot there. So what is Tidal Blades Heroes of the Reef? It's a worker placement uh, dice building game where you uh, control a um, 
wannabe hero that comes to the islands and um, <clears throat> wants to become one of the tidal blades, this uh, order of um, heroes that defend the islands against the monsters that come out, that come out of the fold, like a space-time rift that uh, is near these islands and from time to time monsters come out and that's not good, so we need people to fight these monsters. Um, and you um, travel these islands uh, in a worker placement fashion, um, make different actions there, get new dice, um, upgrade existing dice, uh, buy some uh, equipment, get uh, shiny shells or uh, fruits. And you can also visit one of the free arenas and do a challenge there, because how do the heroes get chosen? by competing in challenges in arenas while everyone is watching and trying to impress the judge. So um, these challenges are where the dice come into play. Um, every challenge has a couple of symbols you need and um, you decide how many dice you want to roll. Um, roll them, uh, try to match the symbols on the cards. Uh, you can re-roll as often as you want, but with every roll you also have to roll a danger die. And if this die shows a red X, you have to lose a die yeah i think um, that that die is is made exclusively of red axis uh yes it has, it has blank spaces um so there is a chance you won't lose dice um but um there are also three different types the longer the game goes um the more difficult it becomes uh, so in, with the last die you also can roll double axis and lose two dice um, but that's where the shells come into uh, play, because if you um, pay a shell, you can block one of these axes and not lose a die, which is bad for a dice building game. <clears throat> hey, hey, I'm, I'm so. really sorry to interrupt the flow. I really need to just check. Is one of the characters a red crocodile? Yes. Is that what I'm seeing here? Yes. Oh my god, I need this role-playing game. <laughs> that, that's kind of a frog too. What? Yeah, the crocodile frog. I mean, no, no, no. the frog crocodile. I mean, that's important to no, know. No, I think I think they are two characters. Oh. I mean, if 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 we were talking about the characters right now, the judge is a like an elder turtle. Um, we have a red crocodile as one of the heroes. We have uh, an axolotl as one of the heroes, which is my favorite. <laughs> the axolotl, so not a frog. Yeah, um, I mean, we also have a the frog. Vibes uh, when you say the turtle. <laughs> The, um, there is an expansion for five players and it comes with a frog um, hero and then two humanoids. I think one of them is actually a human and the other one has like kind of fishy features a little, um, but still pretty humanoid. Um, but yeah, so these are the heroes you have. <clears throat> And um, yeah, and, and like that's basically the core of the game, um, moving around in a worker placement fashion and um, doing these challenges and um, with your dice. But there are also the monsters. I mean, you are not yet a hero, but the people expect you, if you want to be the hero, then you are probably fighting monsters, right? And um, so- That's your internship. Yeah. So uh, there are monsters, you don't have to fight them, but if you don't find them, fight them, chances are people won't like you as much. Um, and uh, that's part of scoring in the end, how much people like you. It's the championship board. 
um, where you compete um, with the others over you know um, how much uh, people and the judge uh, are impressed by you and if you fight monsters people are more impressed by you <laughs> i do really like the uh, the fact that if you don't participate in the combat you will lose points but even if you uh, knock a few HP off the monster, then it will be considered to be enough. I think that's a neat mechanic. I didn't understood it at first when we played, uh, <laughs> and I thought that uh, fighting the monster was uh, a bad idea. But actually, it's it's always interesting to to fight it, and it's kind of a team effort because if the monster is defeated, everybody that uh, fought it will get something back in return. So basically, I mean, fighting monsters is hard because every die you use in the challenge of fighting the monster, you will lose. So you can't keep any of those dice, uh, which is pretty discouraging. But um, as Alex just said, it isn't about you don't have to kill the monster. Just fighting it, basically showing people, hey, I do fight for you. I mean, the monster still lives, but I tried my best, is enough for the people to not hate you. So. <laughs> And actually, the, the dice mechanic is pretty smart. Uh, I think that you start with white die, but you can evolve them, you can upgrade them in two different directions, like uh, towards the red symbols and towards the blue symbols, and you can specialize them. But when you go one way, you can't go back uh, unless you lose that die, right? Exactly. So um, there are four levels of dice. The first one basically has all four different symbols on it, then a question mark, which is a joker, and a blank side. So you can roll all four symbols in the game with this. Um, and then you have to, if you level it, that up, you have to decide on a color, as you said, red or blue. Um, red die have uh, the yellow and red symbol, while the blue dies have the blue and green symbol. And um, they become better with the third level, and with the last level you can specialize them even more. So there are four different dice in the last level, each focusing on one symbol. So, um, yeah. Yeah, th that part is very smart. Also, because I usually don't, don't like when you have to do stuff to uh, stack your dice, and then your dice could betray you, because basically you are working hard to make something which is uh, luck-based. So th that evolution puts thing, uh, things in perspective and that's, uh, I think, a very, very cool and smart mechanic. Yeah. Um, there's also like every character has four different stats uh, which correspond to the symbols you can roll in challenges. And every time you match a symbol in a challenge, you increase your stat of that symbol by one. And these stats, for example, determine how many dice you are allowed to roll um, during a challenge or at the end of a turn, how many dice you get to refresh and upgrade and uh, stuff like that. So that's another aspect. So it's not like, okay, I just have to do any challenge. You can look at your different challenges on hand and decide, okay, I could do this one, but this one would actually give me skill points that I actually need so i will prefer to do this challenge now um so yeah that's uh, there's a lot of different things that work together also with fighting the monsters uh, you can become stronger by competing completing certain challenges beforehand and um yeah it's i really like the game and one thing i should definitely have to mention i play a lot of solo games 
And with many games, I play them once in solo and it's fun and I never play them again in solo because I don't feel inclined to, you know, set them up again. Uh, this game I've played multiple times in solo. Um, it, yeah, it's one of the few games I enjoy playing often. <laughs> Yeah, and by looking at the content of the box, it's actually uh, quite an endeavor to set it up. Yeah, a little. I mean, it doesn't... <laughs> People are uh, pretty impressed or confused uh, by looking at its setup because it doesn't have one board. It has, uh, let me think, five boards? Yeah, six boards if you count the championship board, seven if you count the expansion board. So um, basically each island has its own board. And um, so that's something. Um, it's also important to mention there are two versions with the Deluxe Edition that was uh, available during the Kickstarter and the Retail Edition. You don't lose out on anything if you get the Retail Edition. The Deluxe Edition has simply, you know, it has miniatures and a set of standees. It has a totally needless dice tray made off of plastic, which is like a tiny model of one of the arenas. And that increases the box size to a ridiculous amount. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you're it... saying that if any of us wants the Axolotl minis, they have to go for a Kickstarter editions uh, at second hand? Uh, I think so. I do believe, I, I don't think the Deluxe Edition is available in retail. It's not. I, I was looking. It's almost as big as the Kingdom Death box, by the way. Ugh. Oof. Yeah, I remember when I had a, a friend that pledged for it and that got their copy, and they were showing uh, it on the table, and I was like, "Wow, that's huge!" And uh, I will say that when uh, you know what the game is about, that doesn't seem that huge anymore, because as you are doing some uh, exploration. Yeah, why not? Uh, fun fact, I could uh, close my two-year-old kid when he was two-year-old inside the box of Kingdom Death. <laughs> Did you do it? <laughs> yeah. Do we have to call child services? Yeah, that, 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 that's, that's my cool father, my father of the year award for this episode. <laughs> Hey, hey, my child, look, I got you this black box. It's your coffin. Bye. No, <laughs> no it, it was kind of a prank to the mother. So it was fine, I, I guess. I, I, I hope so. Francesco, please forgive me. How many nights did you sleep on the couch for that? It, it, it was either uh, the whole of Kingdom Death or a new crib. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, when money is tight, you can use a Kingdom Death or Tidal Blades box. Yeah. Um, <laughs> jokes aside, I really liked uh, the game. I thought it was very interesting. Um, you have to be constantly looking into ways to regenerate your dice or to get new ones because it's very easy to lock yourself out of actions and to uh, quote-unquote lose a turn because you weren't able to do a challenge this turn because uh, you used too many die or you didn't uh, focus enough. What's really interesting is that each character really has different abilities and they are all really interesting to to use and if you play your strength you can get uh, you can get pretty strong and it seems very fun and interesting that way. Yeah, uh, that's definitely an important point. Um, 
The first game should definitely be considered a learning game, um, especially the first turn. Um, if you haven't played the game before, you are sitting there, you are looking at these five or six different islands where you could go and do stuff and you have no idea what to do. Um, but from the second game on, you know what your options are and what makes sense. So um, that's something to keep in mind. If you try the game, try it two times. Yeah, um, I, I really enjoyed it. It's definitely the kind of game where, speaking of uh, decision paralysis, uh, this game can have that because of the, the dozens of options that you have for what you can do this turn. Um, but yeah, that's that's definitely a game that I that I liked. They are not going to get me unless they release those miniatures separately. I'm already fed up with my Takedo copy missing one set of the miniatures. I, I, I'm not having another game with super cute miniatures and I can't paint them. So uh, I love the sound of this game. I was already quickly looking to see if my local stockists had it and they just have the standee version. So, mm. Yeah, I mean, cute figures are just a way to get to your hearts. <laughs> no worries, Ben. We can play the role-playing game. As long as I can be a crocodile, a really stupid crocodile. <laughs> I, I, I don't, you have no idea how stupid I want him to be. <laughs> I want him to have trouble with a door. <coughs> I mean, one that pushes ampules. It's a crocodile. How do you want it not to have trouble with opening a door? True, true. I mean, you can just walk through them, maybe. You know, just ignore. I think that would be a troublesome quirk to have on a character if every time you enter the room you just splintered the door by walking <laughs> through it. It'd be a funny running joke, but considering how all the NPCs would ever have to react to it in a variety of different manners, it's probably not worth it. I'd rather just have a top hat with a squirrel inside. Right. Well, uh, that was Tidal Blades, and I really love the sound of that world. Um, and like I said, I would have already slammed that game into uh, into my shopping basket if um, if it, they just retailed the miniatures somewhere. Um, I know that sounds a bit weird, but uh, in this particular case, it was the miniatures I was looking at the uh, <laughs> while we were talking, um, and they're gorgeous. But we're not yet done with gemstones. We've got one final little game. Um, in to to squeeze in here, it's actually two games, but don't worry, they're just reskins. This is from the designer of Spectre Ops, which we'll talk about if we ever talk about hidden movement games. It is Emerson Matsuuchi. Um, he's a fantastic designer, and interestingly, this is also a part one in an experiment or a series. In this case, Emerson wanted to create a trio of games that you could play separately, or you could put together. In any combination so he built three games that construct together to make six um, and then there are two versions of them so this is century spice road or the far superior century golem edition which is way sexier and has gems instead of spices and don't accept any alternative substitutes never so it's a super simple game that plays a bit like slender um, you have Two decks of cards and some gems or spices. I'm going to talk about gems from now on because, as I just mentioned, uh, and you're like a gem trader. And essentially, the game's very simple. You shuffle up the two rows and you set up columns from left to right. 
are rows from left to right of uh, of these cards. One lot has point scoring cards on it. The other has like action cards. And on your turn, you just do one thing. And this thing can be you play a card from your hand. It might give you more gems. It might upgrade your gems um, because gems are worth increasing amounts. There's four different colors of them and they're more valuable as you progress up the colors. Um, yellow being the least valuable because who really wants a gem that looks that color all the way up to a nice pinky red Ooh. uh yeah yep yeah, they're gorgeous the gems they come in little their own um little cups that you both versions have like loads of ridiculous storage and play aids that you pull out of the box yeah production value is uh, out of the out of out of scale <laughs> yeah it's it's gorgeous um or you can play trading cards that let you trade in some gems and get others. And because your character automatically is good at trading, you'll always make a better deal and improve your situation. The other thing you can do is you can acquire a merchant card, which you look at the merchant card row and you can pick up the one on the far left for no cost. If you want to pick up any of the ones further along, you have to do the same thing as you do in Canvas, which is you have to put a gem on the previous card and gradually like leave little breadcrumbs behind, little tempting things for people who take those cards later. It's a nice mechanic. I always love it in games with a shop deck like this, because otherwise you end up the way that Binding of Isaac Four Souls does, where there's two cards on the table nobody wants, and everyone's just drawing blank cards off the top of the deck and hoping. So it's good that you increase the value of the cards, uh, just so people go, oh, I'll take that one, why not? I get these yellow gems, that's great. <clears throat> Or you can claim a point card, which is the main mechanism of winning. You trade in a certain number of gems, you take a card. If you've taken the first or second card, you get some bonus money, which makes the um, those points cards a bit, bit more valuable. So again, it's a mechanic to encourage you to take stuff that maybe people are ignoring. Or last of all, you rest. And when you rest, you take all of the cards you played and put them back in your hand. So that is like you're trying to gather cards up and play them and get this little engine going. And then once you're happy with it, you go, OK, well, I played everything I want to. I'll rest. I'll take all my cards back and boom, I'll go again. It's very simple. It's very light. It plays a bit like Splendor. Um, if you have Splendor, you kind of have to decide, do I really want this or not? The answer is only if you already have only if you want to get the other ones in the series, the other two Century games. Um, the other thing to note is this is the only one of the Century games that goes to five players, which is um, a bit weird. All the others stop at four players. Um, so obviously changed his mind a bit there. Uh, game ends when the somebody has gotten their fifth card or sixth card in lower player counts. And uh, everyone gets equal number of turns and you're done and you total up your points. It's really simple. It's really pretty. And honestly, uh, it's uh, such a... A wonderful endeavor. Like I'm not, I've not got too much more to say about Century Golem Edition or Century Spice Road, but I will have more to say in future episodes when I get onto Eastern Wonders and a New World and how they combine back into others. So this one's just a nice, light, easy, buying, simple engine game. So Fen, I, I feel like you haven't been very clear about it, but with the two versions, Golem Edition, Spice Road, which one do you recommend? I have both. I gave the Spice Road set to the parents and the Golem Edition sits on my shelf in a Shrine of Honor with lights so I can look at them. So obviously I recommend the Spice Road set. <laughs> because otherwise you ha wouldn't have given it to your parents, of course. Obviously, not at all. Uh, so, um, well, 
in truth, originally the Golem edition was just going to be like a, a convention edition. And people loved it so much because it has this super cute artwork. It has a, a really interesting, fun fantasy world that you don't usually see where everyone does everything with the help of these giant golems. And it's just a bit more engaging than another game about trading spice. Mm. And uh, I, I have to say this game uh, has one thing over Splendor which is uh, Splendor. I, I end up always angry when playing a lot of players in Splendor because it's way too random. The fact that you build your engine with cards and you have the rest action actually gives Century uh, quite more depth. So if you are the kind of guy like me who gets angry at Splendor because it's random, Century is... Uh, better play in this regard and i know that i'm saying something important because a lot of people love splendor so that's it that's my opinion yeah uh, oh i am actually very excited about getting to talk about the other two games further on in this because you just met, reminded me how an endless world um has or a new world is its other name has one of my favorite worker placement mechanics ever so um you can expect to hear about that one in a few episodes down the line, but I just love to say I, I thoroughly recommend the Century series. You can just pick them up one at a time. You can play Century Golem Edition by itself. You can play Golem Edition with an Endless World, or you can play it with Eastern Mountains, or you can play Eastern Mountains with an Endless World, or you can play all three of them stuck together. And the amazing thing, every single one of these games has just one A5 double-sided sheet with examples, that's how simple these games are. They're fantastic little filler games. Uh, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and I just I can't recommend it enough. It's, it's really accessible. That sounds like a pretty great uh, size package. Yeah, although they're designed to be stored upright. These Century Spice Road ones have a lovely artwork that all combines to build a full tableau picture. Um, the Golem ones don't do that. If you do store them upright, the components kind of escape occasionally, which is a bit frustrating, so I keep them on their side. In the shrine, of course, you know, the very special shrine that I didn't For make For the Golem up. edition. Yeah, yeah, the Golem edition, yeah. <sighs> so it, it sounds like it's language independent, because I'm looking right now where I can get it. And, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the uh, the ones with the uh, with the parents are um, English, Swedish, and English, and they just there's no 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 problem at all with playing with them because it's just the rules, and you can teach people the rules within two minutes or so. Okay, great. I didn't like Splendor. I have uh, to say. Do, do tell us why we got a little bit of time. I think I already said that someday, and that it was at a convention, like maybe six years ago and that I don't really remember why uh, <laughs> so but uh, I have evolved since then and I think that I would be more likely to give uh, to give um, ah I would be more likely to give Century uh, whichever one uh, a try and just keep Spender in the in the in the back um, but yeah because I mean, uh, we said something in French. We say "y'a que les idiots qui changent pas d'avis," uh, which basically means only idiots don't change their minds. And yeah, 
That's very wise words. Uh, we, we are sometimes wise. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, I just shared a little picture of the insert and everything and the little gem trays. You'll notice that the gem trays sit, sit together to make a bigger gem as well. And each yeah. one is a small Wonderful. individual diamond. Yeah. It's a, it is a really beautiful, wonderful, um, engaging set of games. And um, I, I plan to talk about Eastern Mountains next time we uh, we get together and chat. Because uh, that's a really fun pick-up-and-deliver game. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I might uh, give it yeah. a try because it looks really, really nice. Y you all look enthusiastic. My Ooh. wallet is not looking forward to it, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, don't, don't don't be like me and buy all of the um, the one edition, and then suddenly find out a couple of years later they've released the Century Golem Edition set, and just be like, I could never get these because I don't go to conventions. But oh my god, now I'm going to buy them all, and I really wish I had all the bonus cards as well. Yeah, I'm definitely not like that. I never buy promo cards and about about that I, I absolutely have to go to a convention uh, soon enough because i i have to get uh, mind management uh, easter egg but we, we will have time to talk about this in future episodes yeah, yeah. Okay, so on that note, this is all we have time for in this episode. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash The Last Standy or as The Last Standy on Twitter. Until next time, we have been The Last Standy. So goodbye from Alexis. Goodbye. Audrey. Bye bye. Alessio. Bye. Cara. Auf Wiederhören. Myself. And remember that the second E in Standy is for. Eleganza! <laughs> <laughs>